HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Gustiamo, the online store for Italian ingredients and pantry staples. Learn more at gustiamo.com. Welcome to The Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. Our guest is Jamie Motley. We'll talk to Jamie about her wine, Stony Hill, and more. We'll taste the Masa Claret for our weekly wine sip. I'm your host, Sam Ben Ruby. Stay with us for The Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. After growing up around a restaurant family and finishing college in Maryland, Jamie headed west to pursue the arts. Jobs at Locanda and RN74 in San Francisco changed her course, where she found her love for wine. Jamie interned in Europe, went on to assist Pax Mali, started her eponymous wine label, and was made winemaker of storied Stony Hill Vineyard in 2020. Jamie makes a very serious but drinkable wine, avoiding chasing any trends. Welcome to the Grape Nation, Jamie. Thank you so much for having me. We're talking to Jamie remotely. We're talking to her via Zencaster. Jamie, where are you right now? I'm in a beautiful historic library room at the Stony Hill Estate. Ah, very nice. Which is where? Stony Hill is located on uh, the Spring Mountain AVA in uh, Napa Valley, California. So we're on the east side of the valley, um, and it's a beautiful aviation, um, sorry, AVA, um, and the, we're at about 900 feet. We're on kind of the lower portion of the estate right now. Nice. Um, we're going to get into that in a few minutes. All right. Just so our listeners have some context and an idea where you came from, give me a brief background on your journey through life and wine that brought you ultimately west and eventually starting your own label and Stony Hill. And we'll talk about the individual projects in depth more, but get me a chronology to the current. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I moved out to California in 2007. Um, I grew up on the East Coast in Maryland. Um, My family, uh, we're a restaurant family. All of my uh, siblings run our family's restaurants in Maryland. So I basically grew up there on my sick days off from school, I was hanging out in the office or in the kitchen with my mother. And um, yeah, it's really just been a forefront of how I was raised in our family. Um, I went to University of Maryland College Park. I studied painting and photography. Um, I also, (laughs) sorry. Perfect preparation. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Yes. This, all the sciences. (laughs) Right. Um, And I, I played lacrosse, uh, division one lacrosse there. So I'd have wow, to, wow, that, that's a powerhouse area. It is. It, it really is. I, I would say lacrosse kind of prepared me for many, many different, uh, factors in my life. Um, but yeah, when I graduated from university of Maryland, I 
moved out to California. I'd gotten it. I uh, was accepted to University of California, Berkeley for, uh, to get my master's of fine arts and painting. Um, I wanted to teach in college. And then I realized, wait, let me take a step back and do, decide what I really want to do. So um, I, I didn't end up pursuing graduate school and I worked my way up in restaurants and in hotels, basically all facets of hospitality in San Francisco. Um, so I lived in San Francisco from 2007 to 2011, and that's where I um, was able to be on the opening team at Laconda. And then I worked at RN74 for a while, and it was at RN74 where I started um, my first harvest in Sonoma County um, with Dylan and Toby Sheldon of Sheldon Wines. So I would work with them four days a week and then work at RN74 the rest of the week. So it was a with, really- With Raj Parr, right? Yes, yes. Raj was yeah. there. And um, yeah, that's really where I fell in love. I was exposed to obviously incredible Burgundies and um, wines from all over the world. But that is really where my interest was sparked for old school California Cabernets um, from the 60s and 70s. Um, and at the same time, we had a more approachable list uh, for guests. And that's where I had my first Mondeuse and Shannon that really struck me. So I would I would say RN74 was a really special place and kind of where I think my career took off. Right. So take me from RN74. You were uh, heading north a little to work, you know, at a winery. What happens? How does that progress? Yeah. So after 2011, um, my first vintage, I realized this is the direction I wanted to go in. I I met two uh, women winemakers when I was at Laconda, uh, Angela Osborne from A Tribute to Grace and Toby right. um, from Sheldon Wines. And I realized there um, these women were so inspirational and I could have gone the sommelier route or production vineyards. And uh, just growing up, outside riding horses, playing lacrosse. I'm, I like to be hands-on and in nature. So I, I knew this was the direction I wanted to go. And the 2011 harvest uh, with Sheldon's confirmed that. So after that, I worked in, um, in New Zealand at Villa Maria 2012. Uh, I came back in 13 and worked with John Raytek, who was then the winemaker of Laconda and uh, also Saratos. Um, right. Went back John's, to- John's been on the show. Oh, he um, has. Yeah, he's. Yeah, he's he makes stunning wines. Yeah. Incredible wines. It was one yeah. of the hardest harvests I worked, but I learned so much. And um, yeah, I was really, really honored to be a part of uh, his team yeah. that time. So um, far, so good. Yeah. And went back to New Zealand in 13 and worked for probably the tiniest winery in New Zealand called Bell Hill who also make really a stunning uh, Pinot Noir and Chardonnay out of the Waipar region in the South Island. Um, and from there, I worked for PAX. Um, and meanwhile, I was going to Europe every year for uh, three to four weeks and tasting and um, walking vineyards and really learning about um, viticulture and winemaking um, from uh domains in France and Italy and things like that. So I was kind of co- combining my education with work and study. Um, I took classes for viticulture and analogy, but I never had a formal degree. Um, right. I had a, about a year and a half. I worked for um, Big Basin Vineyards in Santa Cruz Mountains, which was really credible, all estate grown yeah. fruit. And then, yeah, landed at PAX full-time in 2015 uh, as a, his assistant winemaker, um, and I was there for five years until uh, 2019 in December. So, tell me how. So, you know, we may have time to talk about PAX and that whole environment and what's going on there, the Eric Asimov column um, story. But what's the transition? PAX says to you. Or you say to Pax, you know, you should make your own wines, or how does it come, you know, that Jamie Motley Wines comes about? Right. Pax has always been incredible. He's fostered so many um, new right. wines, upcoming winemakers. I mean, that's, it's a really rare thing. Um, and, and there's no, um, 
there's no limits. I mean, he'll share vineyards. I mean, him and Scott Schultz have shared vineyards. We shared our Shannon Blanc vineyard. I mean, he's, he's really open and giving and, and, and invites that, um, creativity. And, um, yeah, I think it, it really, uh, promotes a healthy work environment and yeah, it was incredible. I wouldn't have been able to do it really any other way. So I was did able he, to work. Go ahead. Did he encourage you or it was well, a mutual thing? I mean, how yeah, does that I, happen? As far as starting my own winery, that came from me. That was something I wanted to okay. do and, and express myself through the vineyards I work with and the wines I make. So that came internally, um, but he uh, gave me a platform and right. allowed me to make my wines alongside of his and leave harvest some days, a half day so I could drive to Monterey. I mean, these things wouldn't happen at most uh, wineries. Right. And um, he's been able to do that for a handful of other producers. And um, yeah, it's Martha. Um, Martha's been on the show. Patrick's been on the show. Oh, great. Um, you know, we've been They're able wonderful. to, you know, talk. Eric Asimov, who, you know, did that story, was on the show. Right. Um, so you said that was 2015? That's when I started um, full time with him. And at that point, Scott Schultz from Julie Laid and I, we shared the assistant winemaker role until right. Scott left in 18. And when do you declare your own winery? What year was that? 2016, I made my first fruit, a Chenin Blanc from Norgard Vineyard in Mendocino and okay. Mondeuse, um from Bien Nacido in Santa Maria. Okay. Um, all right. So then you're doing that and things kind of grow and progress. And when does the Stony Hill thing come up? Stony Hill, um, the job was offered to me end of last year. So end of 2020. Um, did you, did you see that coming? I mean, is that was not at all? (laughs) Really? Um, I mean, you got the call from Carlton or I forgot the owner's name. Yes. Carlton, um, uh, uh, Galen, uh, Lawrence. Yes. Um, but Carlton, yeah, he gave me a call, um, when the, Stony Hill was under contract and, um, you know, we had just gotten through two rounds of fires and, um, our son, uh, Leon, uh, who was born August 13th last year was a, a few months old. And I mean, it was just such an incredible opportunity, um, to be a part of this historic state. Um, the wines that have always been made here by Mike or the McCrae's have just resonated with me. That's right stylistically this vineyard no matter who the winemaker is it it really holds true to the type of wines it wants to produce and um they really lend a hand to the wines i like to make or the vineyards i like to work with anyway um so they're they're, i I mean i think this plays exactly into your philosophy and how you make wines you know they were one of the early wineries i mean we're talking going back and you know the reputation napa got you know right. making restrained minimalist and these structurally balanced wines right? right that played right into what you want to do absolutely and so i guess when you got the call you were you know more than flattered right yeah i mean we've got riesling planted in 1948 you know head trained vines and um the cabernet i mean that was a newer uh planting i mean the first cabernet planting was in 09 but i mean historically right. it's a white wine vineyard um we have transitioned it more to red but yeah i mean the history here and and it's just a rarity to work with vines of this age in napa or really anywhere i mean right. i've through Jamie Motley Wines, I've I've tried to work with the oldest vines I can, and I and I've been lucky enough to be able to do that. But this, yeah, right. this was kind of yeah resurrecting this um, the Napa that I fell in love with drinking at R and seventy four from the sixties and seventies. So, so I I want to um, sort of mix in a bunch of different things, including that you know for over a year I've been asking all my guests 
you know, about the effects in life during the pandemic. <laughs> you know, we just, just discussed you had an interesting twist. You took on an additional job during the pandemic. You know, right. people were losing their jobs. Industries were going out of business. They were working from home. Nobody knew what was going to go on. You have a kid. You take a new job. Plus, you're running your own winery. So that alone is very fulfilling. But, you know, talk to me about the pandemic itself. And then you can't avoid talking about the fires. You know, tell me about the challenges of the last year a little. Oh, absolutely. Um, but, you know, for me, the pandemic, I, I think for a lot of us I share, uh, I'm sure I share this with, it really um, had me look inward, look at, you know, what I was doing um, with my life on this planet, um, in, the, in my industry. And, you know, I can't help but realize that, the wine industry is so incredible and impactful in it. And it's a cultural element. It can be a religious element. It's a community element. Um, but we, it tends to have a large footprint. It can, um, can use up a lot of resources if you're not careful. And um, whether that's in agriculture or in the winery or in sales. Right. So I can't help but not think about that. And I, I always did. I mean, I'd been working with organic vineyards for a long time, as does PAX. Um, but that's just kind of been at the forefront, um, given this time to kind of slow down and looking at how I want my mark is in the industry and how I can um, best take care of our natural resources through it. So one thing is a Stony Hill. Uh, it's an estate vineyard. It's historic. Um, and just being able to be a steward of the land here is really the most exciting part to me. I mean, I don't own it, but I, you know, I pretend I do. And I, I just am so excited to be here and bring in, it's been organic since 2019, but bring in biodynamic farming. Regenerative is definitely a buzzword, but, you know, no till and bringing in animals and, um, everything. I'm just excited to be at an estate every day, work with it and get to know the land intimately. And, you know, we really want to rework a lot of aspects like work with uh, American glass that's been recycled and just looking at every right. facet of the estate and our business and trying to be as thoughtful as possible. Um, so when you say you don't own it, you, it sounds like you have a heavy hand in kind of what goes on every day, you know, yes. as far as moving towards regenerative farming, um, you mentioned organics. I mean, are you moving towards biodynamics seriously for certification or that's yes. not necessary? Yeah, we'll have that in the next year. Um, and I share this vision, uh, Lori Taboulet is the estate director here, and she's actually a good friend of mine and worked harvest with me at PAX in 2019. But uh, ah. she's She's studying for her MW, um, but she's incredible. And uh, we're both very like-minded and it, it's just really fun to have this creative outlet uh, the two of us can work with. And yeah, they've given us a lot of leeway to really show through our vision. And um, yeah, it's really exciting. This could be the prototype for Napa, which seems to be lagging in sustainability, regeneration, organics, biodynamics, you know, you could be sort of the model and prototype that it could be done. You right. can make great I mean, wines and, you know, all your inward soul searching, everybody else should be doing the same. Right. I think, you know, I, I would like to join, I think the, the ratio of that, maybe the scales definitely tilted, but I, you know, I have to give I have to say I'm, I'm following in the footsteps of people like, you know, Steve Mathiason or uh, right. Tegan or Kathy Corson. So there's been many legendary right. people ahead of me that have laid down the foundation that I'm still learning from. Um, but I do want guys follow. like Nate, like Nate Reddy, you know, even oh, up in absolutely. Oregon, Washington, you know, that whole thing, oh, which is great. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking just Napa, but yeah, there's yeah. Uh, tons of people outside of it. And, yeah, I, I'm, I'm still a student of it all and learning, but um, that's what I, I, I've always enjoyed about uh, something I learned from PAX and all the winemakers there. And the energy I've kind of brought over uh, to Stony Hill is, yeah, just following um, following what you're passionate about and like figuring out how to do things, you know, you'd um, th figuring it out as you go and um, yeah, experimenting, I think. is really what. 
when when you got the call, I'm just curious. You, you know, you, you had a kid. Um, it's the pandemic. You know, you're busting your ass on your own winery. It sounds like an opportunity you don't want to pass up. But when you say yes, do you sit there and go, what did I get myself into? I'm not worried, but I'm not yeah. worried, but it just seems like a lot. I mean, can right. I, do, I, did you have that anxiety for a minute? Of course. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of, I've always pushed everything um, to the max and I always, I've always had a pretty full plate and I'm, I'm used to operating on that level. And now having a child, my, my, I, I feel my work is even more efficient um, you know, I, I don't have time to waste or to not be giving it my all. So it's actually right. given me more structure and um, more purpose in that way. But one thing you also asked about the fires. So I, Jamie Motley Wines is ki- kind of having a, it's going to have a break because um, in 2020, because of the fires, I only made rosé. Um, so I made two tons out of 2025 that I would normally make. And, um, I actually lost my physical vintage, uh, from 2019. I was aging all of my barrels, um, on an offsite facility in Santa Rosa and the glass fire actually burnt the building down. So, Oh, I didn't realize you were part of that. Yeah. Yes. So I, um, I don't have a lot of wine to sell or to make for the next few years for my own brand. And I'm, I'm taking a step back. I'll make about six tons this year, but right. I, I am kind of reevaluating um, the direction I want to go and um, things like that. So it's a good wait, wait. When you say that, does that involve the fact that, you know, the, the fires had an incredible impact, you know, production, you know, things were literally ruined that on top of the fact that now you're also working you know, full time at a winery where eyes are on you. I mean, does that change things a little too? It does. I mean, I was hired here and being able to make my wines alongside of Stony Hill. So that was the agreement. And, um, it's more that, yeah, I I lost two years and basically two vintages and it just takes a while to rebuild. I don't have the same capital and everything. And, um, yeah, just trying to streamline my my life and exactly what vineyards I want to invest in. Now that I'm at Stony Hill every day, I, I realize, and I always knew this, but realize the importance of like being with a vineyard day in and day out. And right. it's not realistic for that to happen with all my vineyards I source from for Jamie Motley Wines, but just really making sure that um, I deepen the connection with every vineyard I'm working with. Yeah, um, it's... The Stony Hill thing is a good thing. Now, you know, it's a place you'd want to be anyway. Plus, it gives you that cushion for you to really figure out, you know, your wines and continue, you know, at the level that you want. Um, You know, I've been following you and a bunch of other people. And, you know, to me, it seems to be that there's a rise in California, of you know, younger I always hate to pick certain words, but sometimes you can't get, you know, like natural wine or, but like younger experimental producers, you know, that are definitely shifting style, making more terroir driven wines and site specific wines, you know, looking at different microclimates, um, you know, not to mention, and in your case, you're a good example of starting to use and introduce, you know, uh, cool varietals. Mm-hmm. Um, so two things. Stony Hill is pretty staunch in what they've made. Are you going to introduce varietals there? Um, and this younger movement, you know, where people, all the people you had mentioned before, you know, whether it be Tegan or Matthew, all these other guys, um, th- do we agree this is here to stay and will grow and that the consumer will embrace it, continue to embrace it? To embrace the more obscure varieties yeah i wouldn't call them obscure anymore but you know napa sonoma is known for pinot cab chardonnay you know the introduction by all these you know winemakers um you know will there be traction i think so definitely and i think that that's what i love about the california and there's always this kind of new energy and pushing the envelope and 
you know, maybe it's hard to really understand a, a place when you have so many different types of varieties going in, so many different styles of winemaking. But I still feel like we're in our infancy of, of figuring out where uh, varieties should be plant- planted. And with that, the climate is changing dramatically as we speak in front of our eyes. Um, so within our lifetime. So I think bringing in new varieties um, is going to be more widely accepted. Um, for instance, uh, we have, I brought um, some Gamay plantings to Stony Hill, which I'm really excited about. Wow. We, we won't do a single varietal bottling, but um, we've done, because I'm working with a lot of Bordeaux varieties already on property, um, we're doing a kind of homage to terrain styled field blend, which will have Gamay, uh, Cote, uh, and Cab Franc in it. And to me, get something like Gamay can work in Napa. People might say, oh, is it too warm? But it's a lighter skinned variety picked on acid and it doesn't need as much phenolic ripening. So I think it's actually as the climate warms up, lighter lighter red varieties can adapt to it um, because right. you're picking them earlier. So um, it really depends region by region. But things like that... Um, a lot of people have already told me they they're not sure about Napa and uh, sorry Gamay and Napa, but I'm I'm very confident um, it's going to do great on this hillside. And yeah, I'm I'm excited to bring a new variety like that to Napa. Um, so do you? Th- what I you know I was thinking before with the, all the fires and you know the interruption and all that the pandemic. Do you do a lot or most of your business via mailing list? I mean, I know you try to get into some restaurants and, you know, you have distribution, but were were you before, you know, you got knocked back on production, were you able to do a lot of your sales through a mailing list? Is that something that existed? Yes. Yes. I have a mailing list and that, that was the majority. um, Okay. Still is um, majority of how I sell my wine. Um, right. What about Stony Hill? It's funny. So Stony Hill shares that as well. Um, historically Stony Hill has been 90% direct to consumer. Really? Yeah. And, uh, it's, and we're actually going to open up a little bit more to wholesale because yeah, it's, you want to get it out to certain venues. Yeah. Yeah. It's this coveted estate that so many people love and adore, but then a lot of people haven't heard of it. So, um, opening up a little more to specific markets and, um, accounts, I think would be, we, we think will be really great for Stony. Well, you you know, that whole Psalm set and, you know, certain places, people, restaurants, you know, are dying to have it. So that's not going to be an issue. It's a matter of how much do you have enough? Do you think the people that have been drinking Stony Hill, for years and years and years will understand and embrace, you know, these new varietals or blends, or does that play to a newer market or both? Right. We hope, I hope um, it can play to both the, uh, the client base that's um, been with Stony Hill for many years and also a newer market. I'm, you know, people are nostalgic and I'm, we're not changing much here, um, but right. we are changing little things that that we think will only improve the estate. So we're hoping the old, uh, the previous customer uh, list will stay with us, stick with us, and see what um, where we're going. And it's it's not straying too far from what has historically been done here. So. All right. So, Jamie, we have to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk to you about your wines. I want to talk to you about the varietals and a bunch of other things. But before we break, I just want you to kind of tick off Stony Hill makes, you know, they're known for their Chardonnay, Cabernet. Just take me through, you know, the wines that they're currently making. I mean, you talked about a Gamay coming, but what what are the Is it just Chardonnay and um, Cabernet? It's um, Chardonnay, Cabernet, Riesling planted. Riesling, right. Yep. Um, There's a a small amount of Gewürztraminer planted in 1959. um, And Syrah. And Syrah, actually. Okay. Um, 
So those are, you know, it's limited, sort of like what you're doing. All right, Jamie, we're going to take a break. We're talking to Jamie Motley from Jamie Motley Wines, and Jamie is the winemaker at Stony Hill Vineyard. Um, You're listening to The Grape Nation on Heritage Radio Network. When we come back, we're going to talk about Jamie's wines and a bunch of other things going on. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Gustiamo, the online store for ingredients and pantry staples from Italy. Gustiamo's mission is to improve the quality of Italian food in the States. They independently import the best and most authentic food from Italian farmers and food makers, wonderful people dedicated to their land and their traditions. When you're searching for quality Italian pasta, San Marzano tomatoes, and real extra virgin olive oil, Gustiamo has them all. Shop their vinegars, coffees, sweets, and so much more. From northern hilltop hazelnut farmers in Piemonte to southern sea salt millers off the coast of Sicily, Gustiamo works exclusively with small family food companies in Italy. When you shop with Gustiamo, you'll know that your ingredients are authentically Italian and of the highest quality. For our listeners, Gustiamo is offering a 10% discount on your online order with Gusti code HRN. Learn more at Gustiamo.com. That's G-U-S-T-I-A-M-O dot com. All right, we're back. We're back with my guest, Jamie Motley. Jamie is the proprietor of her own label, Jamie Motley Wines, and she is the recent, less than a year, winemaker at storied Stony Hill uh, Vineyards. Um, Jamie, let's talk about your winery. Um, You've settled... Oh, settled's the right word. I keep using the wrong words. You're working with a handful of varietals. Um, you know, you're not all over the place with a million different things, particularly, you know, Chenin Blanc, which I think you do at least a couple of bottlings, um, Mondeuse, which, you know, you don't see a lot of, I think when people think Mondeuse on the West Coast, you know, I think they associate you with it, which is kind of cool. Um, you had mentioned earlier when you were at RN74 um, that was that the first time you were exposed and sort of found this love and interest in these varietals? It was, yes. Um, they had a, the Psalms at RN had a really incredible list of more obscure wines. And um, on that were wines from the Savoie region in France. Um, and I, I just loved the the energy that the variety really has in any of the bottlings um in working with Syrah so much at Pax or at Big Basin or various wineries um you know they're cousin varieties Mondeuse and Syrah and I I just love the Syrah has more acid and more tannin than I'm sorry Mondeuse has a little more tannin and acid than Syrah and I just love the verviness the crunchiness to it you Um, love acidity admit it I love acidity. I'll say That's it. That's right. There you go. <laughs> yeah, there you I go. can't. I can't help myself. Um, and yeah, it was incredible. And I, um, Raj, connected me with Jim Clendenin, and um, yeah, rest in peace, Jim. Rest in um, peace. Yep. I'm sorry, we're sorry. A great, to have lost him. a great force. Yep. Incredible force, and uh, he's was so supportive of my career, and um, I loved talking with him and, you know, he, he's the one that was able to provide Mondeuse for me in 2016. So I ah. got my first ton from him from Biennecito. Uh, Jim had the whole acreage of uh, Mondeuse at Biennecito and he would make it for um, Clendenin family wines or blend it, use it as a blending component. Right. And I would just buy one to two tons off of him every year. So I got to work with him directly and, um, and I was able the the wine from Biennecito, it's, it, it tastes like Mondeuse and it's, um, it's got that mm. same kind of crunch and yeah, I just fell in love with it. And, um, 
you know, it was really incredible. He offered last year, I didn't make a 2020 Mondews because no. by then we'd gone through a series of fires. And right. to be honest, I was ready for the, the harvest to be over. But right. he was, I will always remember he called me and said he would he wanted offered to make me uh, the wine for for me at his facility um, because I didn't have a facility at that point because of the wow. fire. So, you know, I, I ended up declining. Um but I just, that always stuck with me, you know, community. Any, and, any regrets? I do Ooh, actually. Right. Yeah. You, know, you never know. I mean. You should have just done it. I yeah. should have. But you can't, you got to move on. You know, I stumbled yeah. on the fact, you know, and I, I know you're interested, you know, in the past, you know, the stories like it's Stony Hill are just very interesting and Napa's past and all that. You know, I stumbled on the fact that. Mondeuse and Shannon Blanc sort of had a cool history in Napa. I mean, Shannon yes. was pretty well planted, you know, mm-hmm. in the 80s and before that. You know, p- people think, oh, Jamie's making these, you know, kind of obscure varietals. But, you know, quickly tell me about, you know, their place in Napa not that right. long ago. Exactly. And that's, yeah, I've, I'm so glad you brought that up because that is also um why it's intrigued me so much. And I mean, I've, I would be happy to also work with other varieties coming from all over the world, but I, I loved the history and the roots that uh, Shannon and Mondeuse surprisingly have in California and specifically Napa. Um, I mean, you can talk to Morgan from Bedrock or Tegan, and they've got old vine Mondeuse interplanted um, in, in Zen vineyards and and things like that. So there's wow. there's an, an incredible history there. And also with Chenin Blanc was pretty uh, widely planted in the valley. I, I Both varieties, although they come from different regions of France and they're completely different, they have a lot of similarities, um, which is an unwavering um, acid potential, um, which is great for climates um, such as Napa and really right. are able to handle the heat and still bring a a lot of elegance to the wine. So yeah, you um, definitely brought up a, one of the main, one of the reasons, not only they're delicious, but I, I really love the connection and the history. It's a short history in California, but the history they have um, in the Valley. So yeah, I don't think a lot of people, you know, realize that um, they just know these big buttery Chardonnays. Um, right. You know, you, you said when you were at Stony Hill, you, you know, the property is an amazing storied property, estate grown stuff. The way you do your farming at uh, Jamie Motley Wines is you select farming partners, right? Right. Yes. So, um, so how does that come about? I mean, I'm sure there's stuff you want you can't get. I'm sure people come to you. You, you know, how do you, you know, if you love Mondeuse, you're looking for whoever's doing Mondeuse. How do you, you know, put your partners together? And I'm sure you have demands on organics and stuff like that control. Tell me a little about farming practices. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, all of my vineyards I work with are organic at a minimum. Um, that's just, and that limits, to be honest, a lot of choices. Um, it also limits choices if you want to work with varieties such as Mondeuse, um, because it's not very widespread. Um, since I started making wine at Bienacito, um, making the fruit from there, I, we've grafted more Mondeuse to, um, Rorick, Rorick's vineyard, Rorick Heritage Vineyard in Calaveras County. So, to right. answer your questions, I'm looking to team up and with people that have a like-minded vision that are willing to experiment with varieties like Mondeuse. Um, so I've been making Mondeuse Rosé from Rourke's Vineyard in Calaveras County for um, four years now. And it's it's actually, the Rosé is what's made it through the last two fires. So I, I from 19, 2019, I've only released a Rosé and 2020 will only have released a rosé. So, um, but working, yeah, working with farmers and, and knowing the growers and being able to have a relationship with them and, um, and really, yeah, share the vision. And it's, you know, it's, it's not just my wines, it comes from them as well. So I just having a really great partnership, um, and picking sites that are really special. I mean, for example, Peter Martin Ray, my, the Cabernet I make. Legendary. Yeah. Yeah, it's a legendary vineyard. Um, it's historic. I mean, 
Mar- uh, Peter Peter Ray, I mean, he was spraying, doing all the tractor work at um, the vineyard up until a couple years ago and in his 80s. And I got to sit with him and have dinner with him the night before I would harvest and hear stories of the estate. And it's just, it's ir- irreplaceable um, moments like that, that are just imprints and, and translate into the wine. So yeah. Finding- but you also, you okay. have a, uh, a liking or a philosophy about Cabernets. You like, you like uh, high elevation. Yes. High elevation. And by going to high elevation grapes, what does that give to you that you like? It's that mountain tannin that I love that, uh, you know, it definitely can scare some people away and, and, you, <laughs> okay. have to, and you have to, um, it's not for the faint hearted and, and, but you, you have to be careful with how you, uh, make the wine too, but I just love the crunchy mountain tannins. Yeah. Peter Martin Ray's Santa Cruz mountain AVA, Massa vineyard, which was the original Derny estate that was, um, the, Cabernet I'm working with from there was planted in 1971. That has a, a ton of history um, in Monterey. And yeah, they're they're considered cooler climates vineyards. So they're not only elevation, but um, they're pushing the envelope um, for where Cabernet can be planted. And I, I just love that. And, you know, I'm, I'm not afraid of a little parazines. I think that's an inherent. Um, Tell everyone I- what parazines are. So parazines are um, a phenolic compound in the grape, and sometimes they can give off a um, kind of a green flavor. Right. Some people say bell pepper. Bell pepper, um, right. Stems, right. Stems, yeah, but it's, um, you don't want too much, but a little bit, um, I just think, is a is a quality of uh, Cabernet Sauvignon that I love. So, um, and these mountain vineyards I'm working with, they really, they really, um, the farming is minimal. I mean, that's something with Cabernet that I think why it does so well in California. And if it's grown more in a head trained, um, kind of old school way with less trellising, able to sprawl, um, sometimes dry farms, you know, it really doesn't need a lot of tending to it. It's more self-sufficient. It, it, is able to grow mountainside and really produce beautiful fruit. So that's an element I love about it too. It, it naturally grows. Of course, there's a human hand in it, but right. it's, it doesn't need as many passes as other varieties. Um, and yeah, the hillside keeps it cooler, maintains acidity and yeah, the mountain crunch. I just so love. talk to me about the human hand. You know, I, th- there's probably going to be no surprise to these answers, but let's talk about seller practices. Um, you know, obviously, you know, you're, you're, you don't dawdle around much with the wines, you know, tell me your philosophy in the cellar. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm, this word's probably overused, but yeah, I mean, minimalism and, uh, right. Low intervention, low intervention. I, try to work with farmers and vineyards uh, that produce really beautiful fruit. Um, and when I, it comes to the winery, I just have to not mess it up. So that's my, my philosophy. And um, I, you know, I love using whole cluster on reds. I've, I, I've used whole cluster on a lot of uh, Cabernets, which um, isn't really common, but it, it, to me, it, it brings uh, so much, so much perfume to the wine. Um, I do extended elevage on white wines sometimes, my Shenans, which I think um, helps maintain um, the complexity that I'm looking for. So yeah, I, I use low sulfur. Um, I don't add anything else um, typically. Right. I mean, so yeah, it, low intervention. And um, to me, the the winemaking part is is meant to kept simple uh, pure and you know the work is really in the vineyard and um it's funny you say that because you know when i started doing the show years ago there was discussion of that but now it's just confirmed and the reality is the wine really starts and ends in the field and how it's farmed and all that you know making wine is not easy, but it's nothing like growing, you know, terrific fruit in the right way. So, 
I mean, Absolutely. that's that that's you know where we're at. So in a good year, you're making a few Chenin Blancs. You're making the Mandus. This year, you're a little behind the eight ball. You're doing some Rosado Mandus's. Um, mm-hmm. You talked about the the Cabernet. In a few minutes, we're going to taste another wine that you make called Massa, which is sort of a Bordeaux blend, Cab. Uh, Merlot and I think Cab Franc, right? Yes. Um, we'll take we'll taste that, and I'll give you a chance to talk about that. Um, before I want to try to do uh, our wine list with you, but before we do that, I think you have an interesting side business. Are you still in it? You import barrels with Raj Par from Austria. Yes, that, I do that what, too. What's what's up with that? It is. That's like. The description of it is Jamie Motley imports Austrian barrels with Raj Par to the United States called Stockinger. The answer yes. to that would be what? So tell me, <laughs> tell me how that, what's that about? Oh, it's been an incredible experience. Uh, Raj and I started importing Stockinger in 2016. Um, the Stockinger family is incredible out of Austria. They're, um, they've been around for 300 years. So this is a really historic, um, small cooperage. Um, and they, it's all about craftsmanship and really I've, I've never been a big Oak person the, all the producers I've worked for use minimal Oak. And, um, I really had to, to understand this company and this family before I, I said, I thought this would be a product I could really be behind. But in fact, I am. And um, I've been over there several times to visit them. But yeah, we're, uh, Raj and I are the U.S. Um, representatives, U.S. importers. And our, the company has grown exponentially every year. Now, they're a small, very small cooperage, and the majority of their business is in Europe. Um, but they do allocate us a, a certain amount of barrels every year. And um, So if I'm a one... If I'm a wine, I didn't mean to interrupt, but, but if I'm a winemaker, you know, maybe I can get American barrels from Missouri or if I can afford French barrels, I'm going to get that depending on, you know, what I want, how new, how oaky. What's the characteristic, you know, why am I interested in Stockinger if I move forward with that? Because the, the well, it's, it's the, the forests that they work with, um, Okay. German, Austrian, Transylvanian, um, and also the way they toast the barrels. So the it kind of goes hand in hand with the way I make wine, the way Raj makes wine, the way we farm our vineyards, everything. It's really just an extension of that and the way the Stockinger family thinks about their barrels. And they really are terroir driven and they want right. the wine in the vineyard to show through. They're not trying to make their mark with their the right. amount of toasts or the the type of um, forest they're working with. They really want the terroir to, I love tasting with the Stockingers. They're so much fun and they're yeah. such a talented family. But yeah, so it's a really light, elegant toast. It, it really brings more structure um, than, and then um, aromatics to the wine. So I'm a believer. I mean, I use them for all my barrels. Um, you do? Okay. I do. I yeah, I mean- that I can afford. I mean, I, I'm trickling right. them into Jamie Motley wines. Um, Stockinger will have quite a few this year as well. I mean, you can put an entire lot of wine in all new Stockinger, and you wouldn't know it was 100% new oak. Um, yeah, that's very so, cool. But they're really, they're really pieces that you keep and you collect over a period of time. So it's not turn and burn. You want to. That, that's an up. interesting way to put it. Yeah, it's it's. It's like, you know, an old watch or, you know, something you have it and, you know, you want to keep it and it just keeps going. Um, That's a very cool thing. It's sort of a behind the scenes thing. But, you know, I just wanted people to know you were doing that. Um, I want to do our wine list. But before that, I kind of wanted to make a note that, you know, I always thought mentorship is an important thing. And I think you are the probably one of the most positive products of, you know, mentorship and the people, you know, that you've been exposed to guys like Raj Parr, you know, who you're in business with Pax, who you are, you know, working with now and, you know, started making wine, the Glaubs, um, you know, all these people, I, I don't know if you'd be, you, you know, Jim Clendenin, who you mentioned, you know, I don't know if you would be, 
you know, the person and winemaker you are if you weren't touched by all these people? You know, do you agree? And hopefully you'll give it back. Oh, 100%. I mean, I I feel like everyone you mentioned and and more um, have really supported me and shaped um, shaped who I am. And I, I really would not be able to do it without um, the positive support I've had. And um, yeah, it's been, it's been a really incredible journey. And I, I hope to still always be, be a student of wine and, and lean, on, lean on these people that have kind of laid the groundwork ahead of me um, because I really trust. And um, yeah, yeah it's it's, a- I, I'm very fortunate to have the community that I do. It's a great thing. Um, all right. We're going to move to the wine list. I'm going to ask you five questions just so you know. I've asked the last 200 shows, the last 200 guests, the same five questions. Um, so nothing new. Our listeners love to hear about your wine preferences. Um, be spontaneous. Don't dwell on these answers. We have less than 10 minutes. Plus, I want to spend a few minutes tasting the masa with you. So the first question is, what are you drinking now? What's in your fridge? What are you trying? What are you tasting? Does the seasonal change bring you stuff? You taste stuff besides your own wines. What's Jamie Motley drinking now? Oh, absolutely. Um, I would say right now I'm drinking my dear friends, um, Clemence from La Large Peugeot out of uh, Vrini. Um, her family is a small grow- biodynamic grower producer. Um, they're Meunier-based uh, champagne. And nice. um, Clemence has been a great friend of mine. She actually lives in Petaluma. Um, so I get access to her wines, but they're, they're really incredible. Um, and their family's producing really pure, beautiful, uh, natural wines. I don't think anyone has ever given us that answer before. Anything else? Oh, really? <laughs> um, I've been, I've, I've, oh, I'm still on a Savoie kick. I know that's really okay. predictable. Um, no, 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 no. You know, it's important to you. It hasn't faded yet. I like that. It hasn't. Yeah. I'm not sick of it. Whether it's Belouard, uh, Granger or Mondeuse, um, or Ardoisier. I, I really loved drinking more of the white wines from um, from the Savoie and uh, learning about their um, just the different nuances between um, the white variety Jacquere and um, Altesse. And yeah, they 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 can go up against, especially Altesse. I feel like can go up against uh, some of the best Chardonnays I've had. All right, those are good answers. And I didn't mention this, but I post all our guests answers on social media so we could share them with them all right second question kind of the goofiest question but it's fun uh jamie motley's favorite wine and food pairing obviously something you're not going to eat every night every month but what's that pairing that just works for you oh absolutely yeah um i mean i would say my favorite pairing would be um a uh based wine from the Jura, um, a Sauvignon based wine with, um, a delicious, like spicy, um, like a spicy pork dish with, um, with Vietnamese noodles or something like that. Like uh, that's a good one. Spice and sweetness, um, with the austere, uh, Sauvignon is usually, um, a delicious pairing. I will tell you again, too, that that answer is a first. You know, you're going to get champagne and popcorn and oysters oh. and muscadet, but that nobody's nobody ever said that before. All right. <laughs> see, see if you can answer this. And I don't want you to exclude anybody or it shouldn't be too hard. But do you have a favorite wine restaurant and or bar in the context of you walk in and the wine list is great and interesting? The people are knowledgeable. The vibe in the place is good. Um, is there anything by you? Is there anything through your travels? Does anything stick out? Yes. I mean, I was just talking about this place the other day, but uh, Clamato in Paris. Ah, um, yes. That's come up before. Terrific. That has. Okay, good. I'm. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just incredible. The energy there, the freshness of the food, um, the approachability of the wine list. Um, it's just, it's a really special place and it's, it's timeless and, um, it, it just feels like you're in your own world there. And um, yeah, it's just always been an inviting place where 
everything is at the top level. Um, everything's delicious, but it's also very welcoming and warm. I, I agree with you. And what's cool is not everybody's Clamato, but there are other places like Clamato, which is nice that you could like Marco Pelletier's place, Vanche, you know, there are all these cool places you could walk into. Um, so Clamato is great. All right. Fourth question, favorite all time wine, um, I always say I'm the most redundant guy. By saying I always say I'm the most redundant guy is redundant. So obviously I'm very redundant. <laughs> but favorite all-time wine, I initially asked people, Jamie, what's the most expensive rare wine you ever had? Couldn't give a crap about that answer now. What I care about is what's that important wine in your life that changed the way you thought, you know, that put you on a path, that changed, you know, your thinking? What's that that wine that had the impact that was important to you up until now? Or a couple, yeah. whatever. To be honest, uh, what stuck out to me is um, that I think has shaped oh, my path and where I am now and why I'm sitting in the Stony Hill Library is um, the 1968 Inglenook uh, Cabernet Sauvignon that was opened um, for a guest at RN74, but of course we got to taste here and there and um, just really blew my mind. Um, the freshness. It, it, it showed well? Oh, it showed well. And just the um, the wow. complexity and freshness and uh, it just it has been imprinted in my, um, in my head. And it just, yeah, it's, it's showed me what, uh, Cabernet can do in California and has led. That's me a great it. answer. And I'm glad it wasn't some fancy burgundy or whatever. Good for you. Um, Cause <laughs> yeah. you are a California winemaker. So props to the old guys. Yeah. All right. Last question. Um, see if you can answer this. Winemakers struggle a little more, but you should have a handle on this. I always ask my guests recommend to me the best wines, about 15, 20, 22 bucks, a red and a white. Um, you could do categories, you know, like Muscadet is a very delicious, cheap white wine. Uh, Eric Asimov's, you know, said there's some Chiantis, you know, that are in that, you know, area. What and, and it doesn't have to be Napa or, you know, even within your wheelhouse. But when you think about great value wines for great prices, what comes to mind white and red? Uh, Portugal all the way. Um, totally specific- agree. Yeah, specifically by Rada region between, um, or I guess north of Lisbon um, on the coast. Uh, but it, I was just blown away by the wines there. Um, Are those reds and whites, mostly whites, mostly reds? They're both. Both. Okay. Um, red in particular, I fell in love with um, Baga. Um, and the white wine, there's a, a bunch, but uh, Maria Gomez was the white variety. Um, that I'm gr- I just love. I'm glad Sorry? you mentioned. No, I'm glad you mentioned some makers, you know, because I'll post them. Um, yeah, so, so Portugal, I'm- North of Lisbon, Barada, reds mm-hmm. and whites. And if you see them or get them, you know, they're 20 bucks, 21 bucks, 18 bucks. I mean, we're in that range. Absolutely. I mean, I think they're, they're, they're going up in price, but they are, I, I think, some of the most affordable wines in Europe and some of the best, to be honest. Jamie, you did a impeccable job on oh. your wine list answers. And like I said, I will post Jamie's list. All right, we got to wrap the show up. Got to do two things. Got to taste and talk about Jamie's wines, and then I just have to do a show wrap up, and I want to get some info from you. So Jamie was kind enough and i asked her a little late but she got the job done (laughs) and this is for you you know i want to help you sell wine or make people more aware jamie sent me the 2018 masa vineyard monterey county wine it's a claret and it is i'll read it 45 percent merlot 35 percent cab 20 percent cab franc you know classic bordeaux grapes jamie tell me a little about this wine you know why you made it where you got the grapes you know what do we need to know about this 
Oh, absolutely. So, um, yeah, Massa Vineyard is uh, used to be the old Derny Estate, so it has a lot ah. of history in California. Um, Ian Brand, um, who I'm sure everyone knows about, um, is he's curating the vineyard, and he is the one selling and connecting winemakers with the fruit. So, um, I was lucky enough to be able to get into the vineyard in 2018 and start making wine from there. Um, I actually made three wines from this vineyard in 2019 that, of course, um, are not here now from the fires. But that's just to show you how much I love this vineyard and how much I believe in it. Um, it's been organic since the 90s, but um, this this particular bottling has Cabernet planted in the 80s, Cab Franc and Merlot planted in the 90s. And I wanted to do a, a Bordeaux blend, but I, it was all co-fermented. So kind of taking the blending element out of it and putting all the grapes together, fermenting it and seeing how they play off of each other through that. Um, and also uh, this was meant to be a more fresh style, easy yes. to drink. I bought bottled it after 10 months, um, released it a year later. So no new oak, just really um, wanting to work with varieties that can have a lighter uh, lighter touch to them, especially in a cool climate um, Bordeaux site. So um, yeah, this vineyard is, is really special. I also make a 2018 100% Cabernet Sauvignon from the um, block planted in 1971 that I'll release later this year. I only nice. made about 50 cases of that. Um so yeah, it's a really special place and it's really, um, really deep in Carmel Valley, AVA. It's, it's high elevation, windy roads to get to, but it's worth it when you arrive. Yeah. It's, I, you know, I've been tasting it and I've had it in the glass for a little while. It's, it's, you know, it's delicious. It's a little crunchy. It's not, you know, it's lighter than people perceive Napa caps to be, but you know, it's got some nice body, uh, and mouthfeel to it. Um, I would guess it's hard to come by. As far as purchasing Re it? Or? Yeah. I mean, mailing yeah. lists, some retail. Yeah. I, I. So this wine has been released um, and currently it is sold out. I have... Um, I, I have some left I keep for library wine. It's, right. I like to keep wines um, that I think can age well. And I, I want to start releasing in five to 10 year increments. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this wine, unfortunately, is sold out. But I will be releasing the 100% 18 um, Cabernet Sauvignon soon. And that is uh, really delicious as well. Um, and again, the 19, I don't have any more because of the fire. Right. So looking forward to continuing to work with this vineyard in the future. Going, I also, oh, sorry. No, I also ahead. made a Chenin Blanc from this vineyard too, that um, I'm, I the, made. The, the old Derny vineyard. Yes. Massa. Yeah. Massa. Yeah. Very cool. When's that going to be around? Well, I again, lost it in 19, but I'll make more in 20, um, 21 there is fires next to the vineyard and last right. year so nothing in 2020 2019 but 2021 uh, the future is bright <laughs> yeah um going back to wine and food pairing what do you see as a great pairing with a wine like this what's great about this wine is it has the tannins and mm -hmm. acid um to go with a lot of foods but it also has that light fruity element to it. So, I mean, this wine you could really have with, um, a delicious, um, chicken dish or like five, five spice chicken would be amazing with it. Um, you could do, um, a, a steak. I think it could handle a steak. I was going to well. say steak, burger, salmon, chicken. Oh, really? It's, okay, it's, yeah. it's that it, it's that versatile. I think this would right. be fine with, you know, a grilled salmon with spice or, you know, sauce. You got to pair it to the sauce. I think it's interesting in that sense. It's not that, you know, um, monolithic Napa cab, you know, it's a right. little more interesting. Yeah. A, a burger would be great with it, too. Yeah. So that's the 2018 Massa Vineyard, Monterey County Claret. Bordeaux blend. All right, Jamie, we got to wrap up. I told you things would go quickly. Let me do a quick 
wrap up and I just want to get some info from you for our listeners. So if you have a question, suggestion, wine happening or event, hit me up at Sam at the That's Sam at the Subscribe to the Grape Nation podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. Just take a second and hit that subscribe button and the show Jamie will appear in your bedroom Wednesday night. Um, follow us on Facebook at the Grape Nation on Instagram. We're at S Ben Ruby on Twitter. We're at Ben Ruby, but you can always use the hashtag the Grape Nation on both. We're trying to build a community on Clubhouse, so follow us at Ben Ruby there. As I mentioned, we will post Jamie's wine list with some cool recos. And I will also give you info on our weekly wine sip, which was the masa that we just tasted um, on our social media sites. Um, Jamie, I'm sure people were intrigued by our conversation and are now like, where do I go to find out more? Where do I get these wines? You know, what is she talking about? So if we want to find you and your wines on social media and the Internet, tell me the best places to go. Absolutely. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Jamie Motley Wines. Um, Easy. Two E's in Jamie. Yes. And my website is jamiemotleywines.com and Jamie is spelled J-A-I-M-E-E. Right. Um, yes. Yeah, so that's that's the best way to find me. Um, you can also find my wines um, through Skernick in uh, New York. Right. In California and Craft uh, Wine Co. in Co- uh, Colorado. So. What about Stony Hill? Stony Hill Vineyards. Dot yes. com or Stony Hill. Okay. Yes, uh, StonyHillVineyards.com is our website. Uh, you can come visit us and and taste with uh, myself or Lori, our state director. Um, yeah, and we will we'll be uh, making our first vintage this year in 2021. So really looking forward to working with these grapes. Finally. Well, congratulations on that. Good luck on that. You know, hopefully you'll get, you know, grounded and your feet going, you know, on Jamie Motley. It's been a very trying um, year in certain senses, but Leon was born. So it's been great in other senses last year. (laughs) Um, So we're looking forward to that. I hope one day to see you in person in the vineyards. We try to get out to Napa almost every year, but not lately because of everything. Um, Right hope to see and taste everything all right thank you to our guest jamie motley thank you to our engineer amanda and everyone at the heritage radio network i'm sam ben ruby and you've been listening to the grape nation the grape nation is powered by simplecast thanks for listening to heritage radio network food radio supported by you for our freshest content subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio you can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network heritage radio network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better fairer more delicious place and we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. And thanks for listening.